All right. So John chapter 17 is a, a, an entire prayer. To give you the context, what we've been looking at, we've been look, uh, studying through John. John chapters 1 through 12 are basically like the, the first, the two and a half to three and a half years of his public ministry, right? In 12 chapters. And then they walk into Jerusalem. Jesus and his disciples walk into Jerusalem during the Passover, which is one of the seven Jewish feasts. It's a week-long feast. They walk in. It's going to be the last Passover, the last time that Jesus walks into Jerusalem before he dies on the cross. It's the last week of his life, right? It quickly moves up to Thursday night. He dies on, fr- he, 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 he's hung on the cross on Friday morning, and he's taken off the cross before sundown on that Friday evening, right? So, so Friday morning, he's going to be betrayed by Judas. He's going to die on a cross. This is Thursday night, the night before that happens. He has something famous, his last meal, we know as the Last Supper, right? He has this meal, it's a Seder dinner, it's a Passover dinner, it's a very traditional dinner, and he helps them see that there's much more significance and that all of these things in the Seders actually point to Jesus. They were all pointing to him all along, and he helps them see that a little bit. And then he, he gives his final discourse. In four chapters, he just shares with them some very, very, very deep things that they're going to need to know and that they're going to need to pass on to the next generation of followers who are going to pass on to the next generation of followers who are going to, we could go on all day, right? All the way up to us here in this room, this generation of followers. He's talking about what you need, the most important things you need to know to be a follower and to make followers of Jesus Christ. He says some great things in there. He talks about, he says in John 14, he says, I'm going to leave. And, and it's going to be good because where I'm going, I'm going to go to where the Father is. And I'm going to actually prepare a place for each of you. I'm going to prepare a place for you. And he says, if I prepare a place for you, then I'm going to come back. I'm going to get you. I'm going to bring you to where I am. That promise is still, if you ever wonder like, what's Jesus doing up there, right? What's he doing up there? He's making a place for us. He's still praying for us. He's advocating for us. And he gets to the end of all of these amazing and beautiful things in his final discourse, and he ends it all with a hymn, first of all. In in one of the other Gospels, it says that night they ended with, with a hymn, with a song, and a prayer. And it's recorded for us. There's only 21 chapters of information about Jesus' life that John records, right? And so, and at the end of it, he goes, I'm missing, I'm not giving you everything that happened. If I was to write down everything that happened, there's not enough paper in the world to contain all of the stories, he says, right? So 21 chapters, though, and one whole chapter is devoted to one prayer. That's how important it is. And so we're going to look at it today. And what we're going to do is, there's so many things in this, and we're going to s- try to cover it in one day, which you, got, you might say, that's foolish. It's not the first foolish thing I've done, for those of you guys who know. So don't, be so su- don't look surprised, right? Um, but it's a really cool prayer. And so what we're going to do is I'm going to read it in three chunks. I'm going to read a chunk, and then I'm going to ask you guys like we do sometimes, what do you guys see in there? And you guys can share some of the things that you see in there. But, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to try to hone in on, on three things he says, and they're all about life. He's going to define life in this prayer. He's going to share the context of life in this prayer. 
And he's going to talk about the mission, the most important mission that you could possibly have in your life, in this prayer. And so that's what, that's what I'm going to look at. So I'm going to read the first chunk and then let you guys kind of just share whatever it is that you see in here that stands out to you. I want you guys, just maybe four or five of you, to, to kind of share that, and we'll keep this as an open conversation. So John chapter 17, and we'll start with this sec- the first section, which is 1 through 8. It says, When Jesus had spoken these words, four chapters of final discourse, all of these powerful and deep words, and then he ends it. He goes, When he had said all these things, he lifted up his eyes to heaven. Right? That's, that's code for he prayed. And he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son, that the son may glorify you. Now imagine, this is just 11 guys, and this is a prayer. Jesus is praying this, and and they're watching it. He's praying intimately to his father. They're watching this. He goes, glorify your son, that the son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all who you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you, for I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. It's a, it's a beautiful prayer. There's lots in there. There's no way we can, we can talk about all of them. But what are some of the things that stood out to you as you heard Jesus' prayer read out loud? I'll give you time to think. Yeah, yeah. There's there's this like there's this unity. He's like he's like you glorify me, and I'm glorifying you, and they're gonna glorify you through me. And there's this whole like 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 beautiful thing about the glory. And glory is weightiness. Glory means weightiness, bigness, making a big dealness. You could say it. It's it's making a big deal of something or recognizing that something is a big deal. That's glorifying it. And he says, I've made it known to these people what a big deal that you are. And you've made it known to them what a big deal I am. And I'm using that big deal, that big dealness to point back to you. And I want them to do that too, right? So it's a pretty cool way he's, 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 he's just passionate about that. Yeah. Thanks, Dale. What else do you guys see in there? Now everything you've given me is from you. Everything that, that Jesus did 
is from you. And so you're going to start to see this. There's some mystery in who God is. There's some mystery in who God is. We all agree with that? If you wanted to like perfectly describe with our finite words who God is, there's no way you could do it. He's mysterious. He's three persons and one God. That's mysterious. It's not illogical, but it is mysterious. Right? He's the Father and He's the Son and the Holy Spirit. And somehow when Jesus is talking about them, it's like they're so interconnected that if you know Jesus, you know the Father. And if you know the Father, then you know Jesus. If you don't know Jesus, you don't know the Father. So if, for the Jewish people who are like, oh yeah, we know the Father, but who is this Jesus? He's like, well, if you don't know me, you don't know him. It's so connected that you have to know that they're, they're just connected, right? You can't separate them. You, you can almost say like the Holy Spirit points us to Jesus, and Jesus leads us to the Father. But, like, what are they? They're all doing separate things. No, they're all doing the same thing at once. And we're trying to describe it with finite experiences and finite words, and we're trying to talk about an infinite, an infinite God. And we can. It's mysterious. So he, you'll, you'll see that a lot. They're, they're so unified that they're literally one. It's amazing, yeah. And, and the Father sent Jesus... And, and not kicking and screaming, Jesus willingly came, and the Holy Spirit empowered him, right? When they, through all of that, they're all working together. It's just God is at work. And you can't separate which one's which sometimes, and that's okay. <laughs> yeah. What else do you guys see in there? Ian. Jesus defines eternal life as as literally knowing him, right? Being being in a relationship with him. Being in his presence is a very abstract thought, right? A lot of us have kind of had uh, uh, on the have been having this kind of dialogue like what does it mean to be in the presence of God? Well, I remember one time I was in my Geo Metro back when I had a Geo Metro. If you if you want to know what that is, is back in the day they used to have these lawnmowers and then they wrapped them and they sold them as cars. <laughs> and I had one of those and I, I remember driving, I was probably like a Christian for like a couple years, and I had this like experience where it's almost embarrassing because it's weird, you know, but it was so real that I'm not embarrassed anymore. And I'm driving in my Geo Metro, and my life's just my life, right? And, and, and I'm driving, but all of a sudden I got this like one holy, big, fat, like reminder, like God is in my Geo Metro right now, right? Because he's everywhere, right? We know he's everywhere, but there was just in this moment, it was like this awe, like wait. Of all the places that he could be, God is in my Geo Metro right now. And I just started like freaking out. Like, whoa, God is in my Geo Metro right now. Like, that's a big deal. There's no one in here. And I'm like starting to talk to myself real loud. And I'm like, God is in my Geo Metro. I remember turning the worship music up and just like having this moment in God's presence where I remembered that God is in my Geo Metro. And sometimes it's like that. And sometimes there's no feeling. Sometimes there's no feeling to the presence of God. And sometimes it's hard to see, and Paul describes it. He goes, he goes right now, in the context that we're at, um, having a relationship with God is almost like looking at your face in a foggy mirror. Like you take a shower, and the mirror's all foggy, and you're like trying to shave, and you, and, and you can barely see yourself. He says, now it's like, it's like a foggy mirror. But one day we'll see him face to face. So we have this great hope about the presence of God. And you might have experiences where you feel close, but when you don't feel close, he's still there. So the presence of God is this reality that sometimes comes with feelings and sometimes it doesn't and sometimes it comes with clarity and sometimes it comes with mystery and all of these things collide together and I think 
That's just beginning the conversation of what does it mean to be in the presence of God, right? Very good. Well, I'm going to move on a little bit, and we'll get back to the next section. You guys will get another chance to kind of share some of the thoughts, because I like, I like that. I like being a church where, where we can have conversations. The, the, we're we're going to call this first section in your notes life, the definition of life. And Jesus here literally is praying, and he says, knowing God is life. Just like Ian said, it's like he's defining life by knowing Jesus, by knowing God. I remember in the 90s, if you guys weren't around in the 90s, then I'm sorry. The other day, too, this is a rant. This has nothing to do with it. I didn't sleep very much at work last night. This is a rant. The other day, I'm listening to the oldies station, because I'm trying to keep it real. And Nirvana came on, and then Pearl Jam, and then the Stone Temple Pilots. I'm like, that's not the oldies. That's like when I was in high school. And then I realized I'm old. But also back in the 90s, besides those amazing bands, the highlight of rock and roll was this. They had this silly slogan thing. Whereas, you know, like, if, if you liked baseball, you would wear a shirt so that everyone knew, and it would say, life is baseball, right? Or if your dad was into golf, then it was like, it was a, pr- it was a pretty good season because you knew what to get him for Father's Day. You didn't have to get him a tie that l- blinked and stuff like that. You just got him a shirt that said, life is golf, right? Or life is, you get a bumper sticker, life is shopping, and then, like, the, 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 the crazy ones, they got, like, let's, let's change the order and go, life is. They changed it, right? Life is a beach, right? You guys seen that bumper sticker? So life is, it's defined. But what they're trying to communicate is that life is more than just breathing in and breathing out and, and going through the rat race and going to bed and then waking up and then going to work and then coming home and doing some honey-do list and then going to bed and doing that all over again. There's got to be more than life than that. Life is something, right? Well, well, Jesus goes, life is, life is knowing God. And it brings up this interesting thing because I, I, I think a lot of times people believe that life is basically, um, if you want to define life, life is, okay, you're born and then you die and everything in between that is your life. And that's how some people would define life. Life is you're born and, and you die, and everything in between that, well, that's life, right? Well, Jesus gives us a bigger picture. He says, no, actually, you're born with a form of life, but you're not even alive yet. And he says, it, life actually begins when you, when, 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 you, when you know the Father, when you're reconciled to the Father through Jesus Christ. And he calls it being born again. And it's actually in the beginning of John's Gospel, in John chapter 3, he talks about that. There's this guy, Nicodemus, he's a big wig, you know, Jewish leader, and he thinks he knows the Father because he's like, he's like a really religious guy, and he comes up to Jesus at night, and he goes, Jesus, I know that you must be from God because the things that you're doing, like no one could do that unless they're from God, and Jesus kind of just stops him and goes, Nicodemus, you can't have eternal life unless you know me, and you know God through me. You can't have eternal life. In John 3, 3, he says, that. he goes, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God, Jesus tells him. And he tells him, you've got to be born again. 
Now Nicodemus does what we do. He goes, oh, he gets all sarcastic. Oh, I got, I'm going to get Jesus here. Oh, what, Jesus, I have to go back in my mom's stomach and be born again? And Jesus is like, no, it's something bigger than that. You need to be born again, meaning you need to have this relationship with God, which you don't have now. And when that relationship starts, it's such a new beginning. It's such a new life that it literally, I'm going to call it, born, you're born again. You're born again into a new life. But here's the beauty. Once you're born again, when's the end? There is no end. So Jesus says eternal life. Eternal life is knowing God. And it's knowing Jesus. Because he wants them to clear. He's not saying that there's two separate things. He wants it to be clear. You need to know God. And you need to know Jesus. And if you don't know Jesus, you don't know God. And if you don't know God, you don't know Jesus. You need to know this one thing. You need to know who Jesus is and that Jesus is the way. So eternal life literally is knowing God. And this is eternal life that they know you, Father, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. And, and we look in our notes that Jesus made God known to us. He said, I've manifested who you are, your name. I've manifested who your name. In Hebrews 1.3, it says that Jesus is the exact representation of God. When you look at Jesus, you see who God is. Jesus is the exact representation of God. And that if you know one, if you know one, you know all of them. And if you don't know one of them, you don't know any of them. That's how interconnected they are. And that's a beautiful picture of this unity that we know as the Godhead. But this isn't new. All the way back from the Old Testament prophets, they were talking about this one that they often referred to as the Messiah. And they said that when the Messiah comes, when the Messiah comes, you'll no longer have the Old Covenant. You'll no longer have this Old Covenant that you had, that Moses taught you how to kind of have this this relationship with God through the law, that will be done. And you'll have a new covenant. And the new covenant will be this place where you guys will actually know God. You'll actually know God. And we see this in Jeremiah. Jeremiah 31, it's written about 700 years before Jesus uh, died on the cross. 700 years. It talks about his life like this. It says, Behold, the days are coming. Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34. Behold, the days are coming. It's talking about the days when Jesus would come. Declares the Lord. When I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel. Or think about this. When it talks about the house of Israel, it's not just talking about Jewish. It's talking about the people of God. With the people of God. And the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant they had, that they broke, right? They broke that covenant. They couldn't keep it. They couldn't keep a relationship with God that was based on their works. It didn't work. Though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel, with the people of God, after those days when Jesus comes, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God. And they shall be my people, and no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, 
For they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. They used to have this picture of God that you would have to go to these religious people, that you would have to go to the temple, that you would have to go through these processes, and that was a way to get to God. And he's saying, you will no longer have to do that. You'll go straight access to God through this new one that I'm sending, who we know as Jesus Christ. So Jesus came with the mission that you would know God. And then he brings up a little bit more. He says, believing in the work of Jesus is essential. In John 17, 4, part of this, the beginning of this prayer, he goes, he goes, I glorify you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. What was the work that Jesus, that God gave Jesus to do? Does anyone know? To make God known. Yeah. To glorify him by making him known was part of the work that Jesus did. He died on a cross. That was the work. The work of Jesus. When he finished dying on the cross, what did he say? He said, it is finished, meaning I did it. The work that you gave me to do. When Jesus died on the cross, it was the work. He was dead and buried for three days. Was his work done? No, he rose from the dead. He rose from the dead. He spent 40 years with them, continuing to give, I mean, 40 days with them, not 40 years. He spent 40 days with them, it says in 1 Corinthians. 40 days, and in Acts 1, right? And then he ascended into heaven. And once again, he gave them, he gave them the promise that the Holy Spirit's going to come and help you, and that you still have a mission, and it's to point people to me. And to make disciples. So the mission never changed. But his work had to be accomplished. And he says, you gave me this work to do and I've done it. And then in John 17, 8, he goes, For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them, and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. So we need to believe that God the Father sent Jesus the Son. And that he gave him work to do. That he died on the cross. Because, because he wanted us to have a relationship with him. And there was something that got in the way of us having a relationship with God. Namely this thing called sin. Jesus died on the cross so that that could be removed. He removed the sin. He removed that which was in the way between us and God. And then we could be reconnected with God. And the Bible calls that reconciliation. We're reconciled to God. We have a relationship with him because the thing that that was in the way was removed. And this is the work of God. And he's saying the whole goal is that you would have a relationship with God. And that there's no other way to have a relationship with God other than the fact that Jesus had to do this work and that we have to believe. This is so powerful that you're going to see in the next coming weeks that Jesus is going to pray again in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he's going to go, God, if there's any other way, take this cup from me, this work. Take this cup from me. But I know that there is no other way. So, God, your will be done. It's powerful. 
And then he moves on in this prayer, what we're going to call the life, the context of life. In John 17, 9 through 19, he says, I am praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those who you, you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine. They're so connected that it's like there's no, there's no jealousy, there's none of that. They're just, they're just, they're ours, is almost what he's saying. And I'm glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are still in the world. And I'm coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction or the son of perdition. Who's that? Judas Iscariot, right? Jesus had 12 followers, and he didn't have a 100% success rate. One of them fell away, son of destruction, right? And the scriptures might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the word has hated the world. The world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. So sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. And you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they they also may be sanctified in the truth. I know it's a lot of words, right? What did you guys see in there? Maybe one or two things that stuck out to you. Yeah. Yeah. Jesus was confident that the work that he was doing, though it was hard, what drove him was he knew he was doing what his father wanted him to do. When he was making no one else happy, he knew he was making the father happy, and that's what mattered. We can learn from that, right? And he, he built his confidence on that. Same thing for us, right? We can build our confidence. If we're doing what God's called us to do, though the world may hate us, though everyone may give us advice contrary, if we know that we're doing what God wants us to do, that should give us confidence, yeah. What else? Yeah. Yeah. So the, the mission, God sent Jesus into the mission, and it was to bring people to him, and he was also going to continue to use those people. So th- we're sent. We're sent. We have work to do. We have work to do. Oftentimes people ask, why do we have to have giving at the church? Because we have work to do. <laughs> and work, the work that we have to do costs money. We don't exist to make money, but we exist to make disciples. And so we all partner together in that mission because we have work to do. Because Jesus gave us work to do. He didn't give you a ticket to heaven. He gave you, he gave you a, a, a ticket to have a relationship with God right now. That, will, that one day will, will, will become even more and more beautiful. Like we'll see him face to face because we'll be with him in heaven. And while we're here, he, we have work to do. We're a part of the mission. One of the things that's beautiful, we're not going to get through all of our notes, this is obvious, but, but one of the things, this is a side note, 
One of the things that, that I've been looking at is I look at through Genesis 1 through 3, and this, is, this has struck me as amazing. When Jesus created everything that he created, and then he created Adam, and then it wasn't good for him to be alone. We all know that, right? Guy, You leave a guy alone too long, you know, there's Cheeto bags everywhere, and he's got Burger King helmet, and he thinks he's the king, <laughs> you know? And so he sent him a Ezra Konegdo, a helper and a partner. But here's the cool thing. And then he gave them a mission. Not to make their own mission. He said, continue the mission that I gave you. Literally, God created everything that he created, and it was undone. It was not yet finished. He created everything that he created, and then he created these people, and he said, I created it, I started it, I want you to continue it. Before there was even sin in the world, God had a mission for us. He has a mission for us. That's why he says that their joy would be fulfilled in this. I want their joy to be fulfilled in this. You guys ready to just take your notes and throw them away? I can't finish those, so if you're a note follower up. We have, we, have, we, we have joy in being a part of his mission. We have a joy in being part of his mission. The last section that we would have looked at, but we only have a few minutes, is he's going to say, he's going to say, I've glorified them, and, I will, I'm, and I've glorified your name, and I will continue to glorify your name. What does that mean? I've continued, I've made you known, he says, and I'm going to continue to make you known. What he's saying is, I've made you known to these 11 and to some others who, who are following. And I'm going to continue to make you known to others through them. What he's saying is, through these 11, I'm praying right now, through these 11, I'm going to start a campaign, a mission, a new mission, to spread the news, the good news about this new covenant. I'm going to spread, I'm going to start this campaign through 11. It was 12, but I lost one, right? And now there's 11. And what they're going to do is they're going to passionately point people to Jesus, and they're going to learn to be disciples, and then they're going to learn to make disciples. And when they make disciples, they're going to make disciples who, who know how to be disciples, and then know how to make disciples. They're going to make disciple-making disciples. Jesus prayed that those 11 disciples that he'd made would become disciple-making disciples. And they did it. And they did it. They went out and they all lost their lives for this mission. They, they, they sacrificed their lives. They realized golf isn't life. Golf might be cool, but golf isn't life. Knowing God is life. And the people that I know that don't know God, I'm not cool with that. I want them to know God. That's what I want. I want to know God and I want others to know God. That's what life is had become to them and then they spent the rest of their days their yolo they, they gave their yolo to jesus they say i only i'm only going to live once here but i'm gonna live forever and this this once that i'm going to live here is not even worth comparing to the next phase of this and i'm going to spend it on him i'm going to spend it on this simple message to passionately point people to Jesus and to teach them to be disciples and to teach them to make disciples. Because you know who makes good disciples? Healthy disciples. 
If you're not healthy, you're probably not going to make healthy disciples. So it's really important that you are a healthy disciple. That's why we do things like the, our reading plan, our men's study, our community groups. We continue to meet together because it gets hard. Why do we meet together every week? Because it's stinking hard, and we need encouragement. We need each other. We're not here to be entertained, right? We're here to be encouraged so that we can go. This isn't church. Church, this is the least amount of church that we should call church. This is a gathering place to go out and encourage you to go out and be the church. The church doesn't exist for us. The church exists for them. The church exists for the people out there. And Jesus makes it clear in this prayer, I still want to see people get saved. In 1 Peter, he goes like this. It seems like I'm taking a long time coming back. You ever, you ever go like that? You ever go like, my life's getting hard, man. Jesus, come back. I do. And I think it's a good thing. I think we should want Jesus to come back. But he makes it very clear. I'm not slow in coming back. The reason I haven't come back yet is because there's more people that I still want to reach through you. And so while you're here, while you're waiting... Yes, look forward to Kim coming back. God, if you want to come back today, I'm in. But if you don't, help me live today, passionately pointing people to Jesus and being a healthy disciple and making disciples who make disciples who make disciples. That's Christianity. Let's have the worship team come back up. I'm sorry I didn't get through all my notes. And uh, also, you're welcome for me not trying. But I want to close this in prayer. As, uh, as the worship team comes up, I want you guys just to maybe take a moment as they're setting up and just think about this. Here's one thing I thought. I thought, how, there's this buzzword in the church today. We, we talk about this idea of being missional, right? We're a missional church. What does that mean? And then everyone argues about what it means, and no one agrees. Missional. It sounds cool. Be a cool bumper. So we're a missional church, right? Okay, well, what does that mean? And I was trying to, like, have this conversation with my, in my, I've upgraded, by the way, from a Geo Metro to a Civic. <laughs> so I'm more mature now. <laughs> I'm driving in my Civic, and I'm thinking, like, what's, what does it mean to be missional? And I, th- and I thought, like, it's not a perfect thought, but I thought maybe one of, the, one of the things that being missional is not, the opposite of being missional is living for yourself. And I thought maybe that'll be the definition. And then I, and then I realized, no, nah, that's not really good because, some people's whole mission in life is to live for themselves. So you, you go, I'm missional, well, what, but what's your mission? It, there's more information you need to understand if you're missional. Is your mission to passionately point people to Jesus and to be a disciple, to want to know him and to want to make him known and to help people become more like him? And we always say this. We say everyone matters. And everyone needs Jesus. Everyone needs Jesus. And everyone's in process. So we love each other through the process, right? You don't, you don't, here's one thing I know. You don't get born again and then you're perfect. You get born again and then you're a baby. Are babies good at stuff? They're good at like being cute and we put up with them because they're like, you know, because it's cute, but then, but they got to grow up, right? you got a 12-year-old who's, who's, who's still acting like a baby, or if you're, if you're married to a, a guy that's still acting like a baby, you're like, grow up, dude. Go to the men's retreat. That was my shameless plug for the men's retreat. 
Go up. Grow up. Right? Now we're ready to worship. I, wanna, I want us to just to take some time. I don't know how, what the Holy Spirit's done to you. I don't even know what he did. To, I don't, I'm not even going to remember that. I didn't sleep at all last night. But, but I know this. I know God's alive. And I know the Holy Spirit's still at work. He's continuing to show me that. And I know that I'm undone. And man, I just need a touch from God. I don't need to know what he has planned for my whole life, but I do need to know what he, what he wants me to do right now. I just need to know the next step. So maybe it's just a time to go, God, just refocus me. Maybe, maybe the, some of the things that I think are the mission of my life or shouldn't be the mission of my life. Maybe I need to get a new mission. Or maybe you're here and you don't know God. You're realizing, I don't know God. You can. Jesus made him known to us. Jesus died on a cross. He said it's pretty simple. It's hard to understand because of our pride, but it's pretty simple. We've all, we've all made mistakes. We're all sinned, right? I remember having this conversation with a guy one time, and I was saying, look, we've all sinned. He's like, he goes, that's so judgmental. And then he goes like this. He goes, I mean, no one's perfect. I'm like, dude, we just said the same thing. <laughs> right? That's what I'm saying. No one's perfect. But that's, but there's a, that's an issue with that, right? It keeps you from God. But there's a remedy, and it's through Jesus Christ. And if you don't know him, get to know him. If you have questions, come talk to somebody, because we love to talk about this Jesus. Read the Gospel of John, because John loved to talk about Jesus. Whatever it is that God is doing, let's let him continue to do that. Let's, let's do what Jesus did in this prayer, it says he lifted his eyes. He lifted his eyes to heaven. And he had this conversation with God. And he glorified God. And now we have this opportunity right now to do the same. So let's do that.